0: I do love a good stat. Hello, and welcome to Real vs. Feel, netball numbers that matter, a podcast with me, freelance journalist Erin Dallahunty, and Dr. Aaron Fox, a lecturer in applied sports science and research methods at Deakin University. In this weekly show, we align what it feels like happened on the super netball court over the weekend to the stats, the real Real vs. Feel is supported by All-in-One Property, a dedicated property service provider. When buying a home, you often have to juggle conveyancing, finance, insurance, and property law paperwork, and it can be overwhelming. That's where All-in-One Property comes in, handling it all. Visit allinoneprop.com to learn more. I'd like to acknowledge I'm on the lands of the Yorta Yorta people in Echuca, and Aaron is on Wadawurrung land in Geelong. We pay our respects to elders past and present. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Now, Aaron, given what's happened in netball land in the last few days, Round 13 feels like uh, a bit of a long time ago, and it is. We're recording on Friday this week. It's been a bit hectic. Um, But I'm still excited to dig into some some fascinating games. I'm actually quite excited to talk about some netball rather than politics and industrial relations.
1: Mm, I stay away from the controversial stuff and just focus on the games and the numbers and perhaps less uh, upsets than what we saw last week, but you're going to start off our usual stat review with the opening match of the round and perhaps the only upset from the weekend, the Lightning and the Thunderbirds.
0: Yeah, and maybe the one that no one predicted, I think, possibly, Aaron. So in front of 9,000 fans at the Adelaide Entertainment Centre, the lightning handed the Thunderbirds a second straight loss. They won by 2, 56 uh, to 54, which a scoreline that really flattered the South Australians, I I think it's fair to say. Um, As I probably unkindly wrote in my Fox Nepple Talking Points column, Shamira Sterling and Eleanor Cardwell were really just missing in action for much of this match in the final quarter, um, Sterling sort of decided to wake up. She had three gains, was back to her usual self. And then Cardwell, when she was paired with Lucy Austin, they sort of got on their bikes in that last quarter. Between them, they got eight out of ten regular goals and six out of seven super shots. So that kind of reeled the margin in for them and and made it respectable more than anything else. Um, But really it was too little too late um stats wise the Thunderbirds weren't bad in their their gain to goal percentage that was 75% compared to Lightning's 67 but the T-Birds were really outgained in this game by the Lightning's 15 to 12 which as you noted is somewhat of a reversal of what we've come to expect from the Thunderbirds um My favourite, the super shot, obviously made this one really close at the end. So it was 54 to 40 standard shots in Lightning's favour versus seven to just one made super shot. I'm not sure when the last time was that we only saw one super shot from the Lightning. Of course, that came off the hand of Steph Wood. Um, The centre pass to goal percentage in the third quarter was quite stark. Lightning had 92% which is enough to make any coach's hearts swell, And the Thunderbirds, 54, which I think I tweeted at the end of this game, if the Thunderbirds had a one, it would have been a bit of a travesty. They really did not deserve to win this game of netball, I have to say. Mm, now, definitely. you're going to tell us about the Fever Giants clash, Aaron. Yeah,
1: well, the Fever sort of run away with this one 72 to 61 and the interesting thing I think about these first two games we're talking about uh is ladder positioning Mm. um based on the results of these and you know the Thunderbirds a few weeks ago were staring down the barrel of minor premieres maybe thinking about that and now I think they have a chance to drop all the way down to fourth uh and the Fever have just been steadily climbing the ladder uh off the back of these sorts of wins Mm. uh so the last couple of weeks we have talked about the Fever dropping off their centre pass to goal percentage. It was back up to 75% this match, which is a good sign for them. Mm-hmm. And the Giants sitting down at 62%, so a big difference in this game. Uh, and the fever again really picked back up in that gains department leading this 18 to 9. But more importantly, that gain to goal percentage for them was at 89%. So lots of gains, mm. High conversion rate of those gains, high conversion rate of center passes to goal. like it's it's looking good. Uh, the shot attempt breakdown for this match was a really interesting one to look at. The fever, and Giants, for total shots, they mm-hmm. had 72 to 70. The Fever only had two more. Mm-hmm. But when you broke this down to the standard shot versus the Super Shot attempts, the Fever had 65 standard shots to the Giants' 50. Mm-hmm. And the Super Shots, the Fever had seven to the Giants' 20. And this is something we've become accustomed to with the Giants, you know, maybe just hanging around in these games off the back of Super Shots. Um, again, a couple of weeks ago, we spoke about how the Fever jumped up in their penalties with that. 89 in a match and they cleaned it up last week against lightning and cleaned it up again this week with only 51 penalties against the giants. So mm, if you're a fever you. fan, things are looking back very good to normal and back to good before heading into finals, back to regular uh, programming. <laughs> yeah. Back to regular programming. All right, Erin, firebird swifts. Not
0: a surprising result on this one. Uh, No, not in the least. Uh, The Swifts, you know, had another win their ninth. It was 78 to 64 in the end. Nissan Arena was also packed out for the Firebirds. It was all about Helen Housby. We're going to talk about her later in the show. She really has found a rich vein of form this season. Um, Interestingly, you know, not necessarily shooting at 100%, not necessarily, you know, winning it at the end, but, uh, you know, just being almost unbeatable out the front and in the circle. So, in this game. Uh, she- she had 17 from 18 regular shots and eight from 15 super shots. We saw a, a couple of a couple of times in that game where you you got the sense that she had the freedom to put them up. They had the, the lead on the board, and then she knew that Aiken George was going to collect the rebounds. It was kind of like a nipple training. Sometimes you get the juniors to come and help you, Aaron, and, and they just, you know, when the balls fly off the back, they throw them back in. Sometimes it felt a little bit like that, but it, it certainly helped them put the foot down uh, and really, you know, boot their percentage to get the minor premierships as they are now in a home semi-final. Um, again, this is a bit of a theme looking at the, the centre pass to goal percentage. The Swifts recorded 79%, obviously quite high, whereas the Firebirds were down around 67, uh, 67%. Um, and then another big stat for the Swifts was gains. They had 18 gains to the Firebirds, just 11. So um, as I just quickly mentioned then about Helen Housby the shooting percentages weren't really that strong for this game we're we're used to seeing up towards the 90s in most games at the moment but the Swifts were sitting at 81.1 percent and the Firebirds 76.4 percent but I guess uh, a lot of that has to do with the super shot and the ability to to maybe pile on the pain towards the end of the game Now, the last game of the round, Aaron, was, of course, the very emotion-filled Melbourne Derby, Um, the Vixens versus Collingwood on the King's birthday on Monday. What did you see there?
1: Mm, I'm pretty sure we're calling Derby's in Melbourne. Oh, sorry. I know I always get it wrong.
0: I know. (laughs) Yeah, no,
1: Derby's here, Derby's in Perth. Sorry, sorry. Uh, So, like, maybe not the, the prettiest game, not the best game, a 64 to 55 win for the Vixens, which really sort of came towards the end. And so the the numbers that jump out of this one are looking at the disparities between quarters or between halves. Mm. Uh, so, like, you look at feeds for the Vixens. In the first half, they had 33. In the second half, they had 61. Oh. And then feeds with attempts, in the first half, they had 23. And in the second half, they had 35. You can look at penalties as well. In the first half, it was 42 to the Vixens, 27 to the Magpies. In the second half, it was 17 to the Vixens and 32 to the Magpies. The Vixens only had five penalties in the last quarter. Uh, And so there was a real big difference in how this game shifted, particularly in that third and fourth quarter. Jeeva Mental had a good game defensively with seven gains, but that came at the cost of 23 penalties, which is pretty high. Uh, And we've talked a couple of times about game-to-goal rates uh, being an important stat for the winners this week. It was only 54% for the Magpies, so really maybe not taking advantage of uh, what Jiva Mentor was doing out the back. Um, And, like, the 24 turnovers for both sides in this game, uh, which we'll touch on later in the show, like, that kind of maybe demonstrates that lack of prettiness in this game. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, Jeeva Mentor, she sort of wound back the clock, didn't she, with some of the things we saw her do. She was doing that mentor role, et cetera. And then unfortunately for her in recent memory, I think she wound back the clock too because she's winning all this ball and then suddenly in the second half in particular, it was just bouncing back and she was clearly getting frustrated. I think you could probably put down maybe half a dozen to a bit more of those penalties to just sheer frustration on her behalf that I've, I've already won this ball once or twice, girls. We also saw Molly uh, Jovic go down with an injury in that game and we've since um, found out that she was broken her wrist, which is very disappointing for her, especially given what we know what is happening with the CPA at the moment. Every player out there is wanting to to get a contract. So another emotional game there um, at John Kane Arena. A massive, massive crowd uh, and a, a lot of, you know, a lot of emotion shown is the Collingwood players won't be playing there again. And we're gonna see them in Tasmania this week. So let's turn to our first subject of the day, which I wrote about this earlier in the week, and I'm calling it the Court Day combo. Do you get it, Aaron? Courtney, mm-hmm. Sunday. It's clever.
1: Loving. Oh, I didn't I didn't get the day. Oh, stop. <laughs> <laughs> I got the court bit, and I'm like netball court. Sorry, no Sunday
0: court day. Yeah, yeah? yeah. you with me? Enough. You got it. Yeah. So yeah. the the two of them um in they had 13 gains, which included five intercepts, four deflections with a gain, uh, and four rebounds. This, of course, I'm talking about the West Coast Fever duo of Courtney Bruce and Sunday Ariang. They put in. I mean, based purely on my gut, Aaron. You know, one of the finest joint defensive efforts of this season that, you know, that we have seen against the Giants on Sunday. They've really, to say they had the better of Joe Harton and and Sophie Dwyer, and then later Matisse Leatherbarrow when she came on is an understatement. It looked like one of those games where they wanted the ball to come in to that goal third because they wanted to have a crack. They wanted to get an intercept or a touch. Um, Courtney Bruce, she had 10 contacts and three obstructions in this game, which again feels very disciplined, for her to me. Um, And then Ariane was a lot cleaner. She only had six contacts, all matches. So wasn't, you know, recorded for an obstruction in the stats, which means that she was constantly in play and constantly able to, I guess, support what Bruce was doing. We don't often look at how combos work. I mean, I guess we talk about shooters occasionally in that sort of um, vein, but I'm hoping you'll be able to help me compare and contrast this team effort with other defensive efforts sort of across time?
1: Yeah, so we can sort of look at the primary goalkeeper, goal defence combinations mm-hmm. by looking at the um, most minutes spent on court within these positions of a, of a pair of players, and that's what I've done here, mm-hmm. uh, and and look at these defensive statistics uh, across these various categories. And so – with respect to the performance on the weekend and an overall evaluation of this, we can sort of, we can look to those net point statistics as an overall um, evaluation of performance. Mm-hmm. And Bruce and Ariang's combined net points on the weekend could be considered the third best for a okay. defensive combo this year. They wow. had 194 net points between them.
0: So definitely up there. Num- yep.
1: Up there, yeah. Number two for this year was Jeeva Mentor and Jodianne Ward for the Magpies all the way back in round one against the Swifts. They had... 209 and a half net points with 16 gains, 15 deflections, and seven intercepts. So, pretty solid numbers there. Uh, but the top kind of defensive duo for this year was Shamira Sterling and Matilda Garrett for the Thunderbirds in round nine against the Firebirds, where they had 232 net points between them with 17 gains, 15 deflections, and eight intercepts. And if we look across the last few years, this is actually the highest net points by a goalkeeper, goal defence combination, like, ever in a match.
0: Yeah, it's interesting too that it was Garrett as opposed to Wilson. When you started talking about Thunderbirds, I assumed that it it would have been. But, yeah, 232 is... Yeah, that's just mad. And obviously, um, interesting, I guess, also too, to note that in those two games, uh, the best defensive combos were on the winning side. That was when back when the Swifts, we thought they weren't going to do anything this year. Remember that? They they looked mm. like they were going to disappear. And they had that draw and it was all falling apart. But how wrong we were. Now, what if you look a little bit further back into history? I know I've had a contact from a couple of listeners and they love hearing about their uh, their older favorite players from the past. Give mm, me a bit of yeah, right? a bit of nostalgia, please. Would be great. Yeah. Um,
1: so another recent one with high net points was uh, Fumza Mulaney and Carla Pretorius for the Lightning in 2019. This mm-hmm. was against the Magpies, and mm-hmm. they had 211 net points within that game, with 18 gains, 12 deflections, and eight intercepts. So mm-hmm. similar to what we saw on the weekend with the the Fever's defensive duo. Yep. Um, There's a couple of examples here about gains that could have maybe been better than they actually were. So okay. Sarah Clough and Maddie Turner for the Swifts in 2020, they had a game where they had 12 gains, six intercepts, and 21 deflections. Oof. But 15 of those deflections didn't result in a gain. So mm. that could have had even more gains than the 12 they already got. And a similar one with Shamira Sterling and Latanya Wilson for the Thunderbirds last year, mm-hmm. 11 games, six intercepts with 18 deflections, mm-hmm. but 16 of those 18 deflections didn't result in a game. Mm-hmm. And they still they still got 11 games, right? Mm-hmm. So could have been, you know, a, lot. a, a huge performance. Yep. Uh, but perhaps the best combined performance from a goalkeeper, goal defence duo, um, and it's unsurprising, this is a two giants of the game combining. Uh, for the Thunderbirds back in 2010, mm-hmm. Jeeva Mentor and Monia Gerard. Uh, 22 gains, 17 deflections, and four intercepts. And this 22 gains is the highest number by a goalkeeper, goal defence combination in oh. match. And funnily enough, we're talking about this right. There. The Tongan team announced this week for the Netball World Cup features one of those names.
0: It features you know, the Tongan team does, and the yes. English and the English team features the yeah. other one. 2010. And they're um, still going strong. <laughs> I mean, it speaks to the value and the resilience of defenders, might I say, Erin. Ah, uh, yes, yes.
1: Uh,
0: <laughs> I mean, yeah, those, I mean, when you say mentor and Gerard, that's kind of just manner from defensive heaven and, yeah, sort of it feels like a lifetime ago, I guess, because it was. Um, thank you so much for that trip down memory road. I think I'm going to have to go off and find some YouTube videos or something today. But our yes. next topic, which we've already touched on today, is what I'm calling all about Helen. So, of course, Helen Housby. She is in some kind of form. Um, For the sixth game in a row this round, she had above 100 uh, net points, which... Wow. Um, how how come, um, Firstly, it'd be, it'd be great to understand a bit more about that performance, but how can we measure if she is in the best form of her life? I spoke to Maddie Brown this week and she basically said to me, she said, I remember when she first got here to Australia and we were like, whoa, this kid is good and she's going to cause us some trouble. And then not too long after we had the Commonwealth Games grand final and uh, the Commonwealth Games medal game. And of course she did cause us a lot of trouble. Could you, can we sort of look at is total goals and accuracy this season compared to her previous seasons, The a, a good way of looking at it compared to to net points alone. And I'm wondering also how she's tracking compared to 2019 and 2021 Helen Housby when, of course, when the Swifts won the competition.
1: Mm. I think for me, like best form of your life is about, you know, the overall performance and mm-hmm. consistency of that. And mm-hmm. so this, Sixth game in a row with 100-plus net points is a good place to start. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's something she's never done. And yeah, I was okay. pretty surprised by this, that she's really in a league of her own here with mm. this 2023 form, that she is the only ever player to record hmm. six matches in a row with 100-plus hmm. net points. Wow. And the only other players, that don't necessarily really come that close. Like right. Gretel Bueda did this in 2018. She had four games in a row. Yep. And Janelle Fowler did it in 2020 with four games in a row herself. So no one's even had five, let alone six.
0: Yeah. And I know it sounds Um, silly, but there's a big difference between four and six in terms of what it takes to continue to be at that level week in, week out. As you say, the consistency is the factor that, that sort of jumps out at that. So, well, that's good to know that she's actually in uncharted territory for net points.
1: Yeah. And... We can review the like specific statistics here, averages across key stats per year to see how well she's going comparatively to previous years. So, mm-hmm. this year she's averaging super netball career highs in feeds, feeds with attempts, goal assists, and those net points. Uh, the interesting thing though here is there's a large drop off, you know, shooting statistics from last year. So, mm. she's taking sixteen less goal attempts this year than than twenty twenty two and having, on average, 10 less points or or total goals on that scoreboard per game than last year. So there's this shift in her play characteristics this year to be, I suppose, less of a scorer and more of a feeder or um, working with uh, Romelda Aiken george in that shooting circle to, to make her the scorer. The really neat thing about this for Swiss fans is that in 2019 and 2021, the exact same thing happened. These Ooh. are her other top years yes. for these feeding slash goal-assisting statistics, right? Um, and it's it's very stark. Like these 2019, 2021 and 2023 jump out with uh, this notion of if you make Helen Howesby a combined feeder and scorer, it's perhaps equating to Premiership success for the Swifts.
0: That's so fascinating, isn't it? Because we talked about when she was with Wallace, sometimes she would take the load, sometimes Wallace would, but she's had that true, probably not true feeder role because she's still doing a volume of scoring. She's not doing a uh, Nat Medhurst fever era or even what we see from Sasha Glasgow now, which is that you're sort of only putting up eight, nine, ten goals but that's really fascinating that 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 um, that trend is is peaking for this season, I'm sure Briony Akel is is loving that she's able to do that. Um, and now our next subject for the week is what I'm calling Turnover City. We touched on this um, in the the roundup. The number of vixen, uh, the number of turnovers, pardon me, that the vixens had in their win over the pies at the weekend uh, was something of note. They had 24, which felt very high to me as someone who keeps a close eye on the Vixens. Collingwood also had 24, so that made it the highest turnover game for this round by nearly 10. Um, But is my gut feel that the Vixens especially uh, don't have 24 turnovers as a rule, but I I kind of, it may be a bias, but I kind of assume given their worst win-loss ratio this season and over time, the Pies would regularly have turnover numbers that high. Talk to me about turnovers, Aaron.
1: Well, yeah, let's just take a focus on this year when looking into turnovers, so just 2023 statistics. Mm -hmm. Um, To start with, to kind of understand Uh, which teams have the the most and less. We can look at uh, average general play turnovers from this year. And note, this doesn't include those missed goal turnovers that we've talked about before. Uh, And this is one of those stats that is actually quite reflective of ladder position uh, with the least to most turnovers here. Going Swifts, Fever, Vixens, so some of your top teams. Yep. Then in the middle, you've got the Lightning and Thunderbirds. So a thunderbirds, bit a anomaly, yep. Yeah, and then you've got the Giants, Magpies, and Firebirds right down the bottom. So pretty similar to, to ladder positioning with top four versus bottom four. The 24 turnovers for the Magpies is a little higher than average. They're averaging just under 21 per game, so about plus three more than usual. Not that different. But it was much higher for the Vixens, though, as they're averaging just over 17 per yeah, game. Yeah, okay, yeah. So they were more like plus 7 than what they're used to. Yep. And, and to kind of contrast this to either end of the this sort of turnover ladder, the mm-hmm. Swifts are only averaging 16.4 per game versus the Firebirds averaging 21.2 general turnovers per game. So mm. when you go from top to bottom, it's like a 5 to 6 turnover difference, which makes a huge difference. Huge. In a matching netball. Um. One thing I wanted to look at here, you mentioned both teams had 24, was Mm. the most total general play turnovers in a game from both teams this year. And the 48 is right up there as equal third highest this year. There was one other game that had 48, which was a round 11 matchup between the Firebirds and Giants. And I want you to take note of Mm -hmm. the teams I'm mentioning here. Uh, There was two games this year that had 49 total turnovers (laughs) combined. Uh, coincidentally, it was the Firebirds and Giants right. round six matchup, uh, right. and then the Thunderbirds and Firebirds round nine matchup had forty-nine general play turnovers. Right. Uh, the highest though was a match that had fifty general play turnovers and maybe two teams you didn't expect. It was yep. the round ten matchup ah. and the absolute mess of a game between the Vixens and the Thunderbirds. <laughs>
0: the game so... that burned our eyes. <laughs>
1: Yeah, another somewhat anomalous performance for the Vixens there, I suppose. But you can see there's a a lot of consistency with those high turnover matches. Teams like the Fivers, Giants, Magpies commonly featuring yeah and they're down the tail end of the ladder
0: yeah and I think it's interesting too you do feel like you see that extrapolated out onto the scoreboard because when those turnovers happen particularly in super shot time you can get really get punished at the other end talking about having just only five extra turnovers a game is 10 points on the on the board so look that's another one another reel that's matching the feel Aaron I'm on a roll today thank you for this Now, if you're looking to buy a property in the near future and overwhelmed with all the paperwork you just know is coming your way, there's endless electronic forms where it feels like you fill out the same things over and over. Well, with All-in-One Property, you can forget the stress and and lose the hassle. That's because All-in-One Property is a dedicated property service provider, helping buyers with all their conveyancing, finance, insurance, and even property law issues that come along with buying a property, whether it's your first or your fifth. Let someone else handle all the tricky stuff. With All-in-One Property, you'll have one point of contact instead of a heap of strangers asking you for information, someone who knows and understands your purchase. Visit allinoneprop.com or call 03 99 82 4491 to discover how you can benefit from the streamlined property transfer process. It's now everyone's favourite time for Fox Answers the Fans. Today's question comes to us from Jeremy Rich on Twitter, who, like many netball heads, watched the UK Super League finals over the weekend, which saw Loughborough Lightning beat the London Pulse. Now, Pulse defender Funmi Fadojo, who Australian audiences got a really good look at in the last couple of international series, she had. A staggering number of deflections in a couple of games they had the finals over the weekend. So in the semi, she had 19 deflections. And then in the final, she had 15. Now, they're numbers we rarely see for a single player, right? Unfortunately, we don't have access to a lot of data from the UK Super League. And from what I understand, they're not broken down into whether they were a gain or, or not. But even the fact getting your hand on the ball and, and, and deflecting the ball away is still significant and recorded over there. Um, tell me, nineteen fifteen. where does that fit in in the Super Netball uh, realm, Aaron?
1: Mm. We, so you mentioned Stephen Nurtel there. We can actually go pretty far back into the ANZ Championship archives. As deflection stats are something that's been recorded all the way back to yeah, cool. 2009, and so 15 and 19 would you know be right up the top of these lists because our record over here in Australia is 15, yeah, right, and that was achieved three times, once by Shamira Sterling in 2019. And interestingly, only one of these fifteen deflections was recorded as resulting in a gain. So, lots of hands on, not a lot of turnovers being generated in that match. And then the other two times fifteen has been achieved is twice by Jeeva Mentor, both mm-hmm. in the twenty twenty season. Mm. One of these gains, uh, one of these games had five gains coming from the fifteen deflections, yep. but similar to Sterling's performance, one of these fifteen deflection matches only had one gain mm. come from it. Yeah. uh 14 deflections in a game has been recorded twice by shiny Layton and courtney bruce so you can see the names at the top of mm. this deflections list are kind of the the superstar defenders yeah. right so what yep. uh fidoju is doing in the uk like you know, tells us perhaps a yeah. perhaps a good sign right yes um And then there are a number of players who have achieved 13 deflections. Uh, That includes Althea Byfield, Liana De Bruin, Laura Dites, Jess Moulds, Jeeva Mentor again, and Amy Parmenter have had matches with 13 deflections.
0: Yeah, I mean, Parmenter is the name that jumps off that final list, isn't it? She's pretty much the only one that would have been playing wing defence, I would imagine, in that list. Um, Yeah, really enjoyed that question. Thank you, Jeremy. And please keep your Fox Answers the Fans questions coming through using Real V Feel as your hashtag on your favourite social media platform. We are making plans for my uh, much discussed bonus Fox Answers the Fans episode. We'll do do that sometime during the finals. We'll obviously have um, a little less content and a a few fewer games to get through. So yeah, please keep them coming. And as I always say, the curlier, the better, please.
1: Now, Erin, a few times this year Mm -hmm. I have made this statement of (laughs) I've been surprised that there's been a lack of controversy around netball for a few weeks. Not this week. Uh, That has ended. (laughs) So probably a pretty unsurprising topic for you, Della, Bluntly, today, right?
0: Yeah, I I think you can probably guess what it's going to be about. Um, (laughs) I mean, deep breath, right? This week should have been a moment of excitement and elation for netball fans in Australia with the Diamonds team for the World Cup in Cape Town to be unveiled. But as I'm sure all of our listeners know by now, the 12 players plus three reserves selected for the upcoming World Cup weren't notified this week. And as we sit here on Friday morning, they still haven't been, according to my sources. So that means the list, of course, hasn't been announced Because of a dispute between Netball Australia, the governing body and the Australian Netball Players Association, which is the union that represents all elite netballers in this country at the very top level. It's all about a CPA, which covers the diamonds. This is separate to the Super Netball CPA, which we know remains unsigned, which means currently we don't have a Super Netball season next year. And look, if you want to know the ins and the outs of this mess, might I humbly suggest you go and read the piece I filed for Fox Netball on Tuesday because I'm not going to get into the she said, she said of it all here. I want to focus on the women whose lives and dreams are in limbo at the moment, who are among the very best netballers on this planet, who represent a sport that is played by more than a million women and girls and boys and men in this country. They had marked Tuesday in their diary weeks ago, possibly months ago, knowing it was going to be a life-changing day one way or the other. For some of them, maybe it was going to be a phone call to go to their first World Cup, the pinnacle event of our sport. Maybe it was going to be their first Diamond Squad ever and they were going to get a Diamonds warm-up t-shirt in the mail a couple of weeks later. But the phone didn't ring. Instead, they got an email explaining to them that they were involved in an industrial dispute. And I can only imagine that they've watched on in horror as this mess has unfolded in the media and people like me are running around trying to get copies of emails and trying to understand what happened and put count claims and counterclaims to different players uh, in this mess. I can totally understand why none of the players have spoken directly to the media at this point. I mean, how can they, given Netball Australia is their employer, and they hold their national ambitions in their hands. But even though we're yet to hear from them directly, I can I think understand what they have possibly been going through this week. I hope that they know so many in the netball world are thinking about the players as opposed to all of the other people involved in this. I think people are hoping they're doing okay and they would have planned to have support around them for when they got that phone call this week, I imagine, whether it was a good phone call or a bad phone call. And I think that support system will be more important than ever. So I guess I just wanted to say, here if you need.
1: You know, Erin, I opened this show today saying that I steer clear of the controversy and just focus on the games. So <laughs> I'm going to take the Know, maybe it's the standard Netball Australia response of no comment on this one.
0: <laughs> I think that's probably smart. Hopefully we get a resolution sooner rather than later. It's now time to check in with your how your shot in the dark went for this round, Aaron. For th- round 13, you decided to go spooky with your prediction, given how many people consider 13 unlucky. You took a look at the records and uncovered that the Swifts and the Thunderbirds had each one only once in round 13 over the last six years. So you predicted they will both lose again because of the 13 curse or whatever, whatever we called it. And they're obviously both playing lower ranked opponents. And you got it half right with the Thunderbirds losing, which is why you and I were swapping memes of ghosts during that game. Mm, Yes. (laughs) I mean,
1: Aaron, if you really inspected my tone last week, you would have known that I truly (laughs) didn't believe in this one. So to be honest, I'm not that torn up okay. about it, and I'm actually happy that it didn't come to fruition. I f- You
0: can focus on something you've got more knowledge of.
1: Yeah. Like I didn't really believe in this one.
0: Okay. Well, sorry. That's, that's my mistake. I thought that you had had an entire, entire life change and decided that you were now going to base your life entirely on, you know, um, cards mm. and crystals and things, but no, we're yeah, going.
1: I, th- <laughs> I <laughs> think you can you'd be pretty safe in that not happening.
0: So I'm, um, I'm excited for this one. Uh, because we normally we normally get maybe one or two things that you think might potentially happen. We're coming into the final home and away round of the season. So you're not going home, you're going big for this one. Yeah. Mm.
1: Yes. Do you have a notepad? I and do pen. I ready? do. Because there's a few this week. And these are things that I guess I want people to keep an eye on as for, for team statistics and player statistics as the round goes on, because there's one game left and we can look at now, is anyone getting in the realm of achieving you know, a a historic season yeah. for a particular statistic? Yep. So Love it. we can start with the team ones and we can look at goals. So goals made uh, across the, the season mm-hmm. uh, when you total these up. So the West Coast Fever, their 2018, 2020, 2021, and 2022 seasons <laughs> yep. make up the top four for total goals made in a year. Sure. To, they're, they're not going to reach the the highs of some of these years, but if they make greater than 18 goals this round, they completely take over that top five.
0: Do you think and they can so do it, Aaron?
1: I think they can manage this. Okay. Like, I don't think the Fever are going to score less than 20. Against so Collingwood. That, um, yep. The tick, the tick column. Um Okay. Shooting percentages is, mm-hmm. is another one for the West Coast Fever. They currently have... Um, the best shooting percentage ever for a year at 91.16%. Oh, really? hmm. Just ahead of the steal from 2013 at 91.13%. So they're very close. Yeah. So they probably need to shoot at 91% or greater to maintain this top position, I think. Okay. Uh, and they, they'll do that this weekend. They'll be above 91% yeah. as long as they don't go too crazy on the super shots. Yes. Speaking of super shots, the Giants need to make seven to break their 2020 record for the number of these made during the year. I don't remember who the Giants are playing, but Vixen, so. based on recent form, I think they do seven or more this weekend and they, yeah. they top that record of their own. I'm surprised sure. that it's the Giants up there. <laughs> so they're the ones to look out from a team perspective, really focusing down that shooting end, mm-hmm. uh, I guess. Uh, we can also look at some of these from a player perspective to watch out for. Yep. Um, and I'm going to start down that shooting end again. Uh, with goals made, again, but from a player perspective, Janil Fowler, unsurprising, again, owns the top eight spots for goals made in a season. Yep. Right? No one else is up there. Mm-hmm. But Donna Wallum is someone to keep an eye on this weekend because she can steal one of these top eight spots by making 40 or more goals in this last round. And mm. I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt here and think she does this. So look for 40 or more for Wallum to be that singular name yep. in the top eight for a season. and uh, it would be nice. Shooting... A bit of
0: variety is always nice in your records, right? A bit of variety, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh,
1: again, looking at shooting percentage, but from a player perspective this time, uh, Janelle Fowler probably can't reach the best shooting percentage mark in a season. This is owned by Kat Tuavardi mm-hmm. in 2012 where she shot
0: 97.7. <sighs> also going um, to the World Cup, Aaron. Yeah. Right. Imagine. Uh, and
1: so for Janelle Fowler to break her own personal shooting percentage record of 95.6%. For a season, I've calcul- yep. I've calculated she roughly needs to go 80 from 80. <laughs> uh, which seems unlikely. I'm going to put this one in the no column.
0: I think so, yep. Yes.
1: Yes. Uh, from a defensive perspective, Shamira Sterling needs eleven or more gains to equal her top three ever performance from last year. Uh, eleven gains in a match is possible, but I don't think this is gonna happen against the Swifts. Against so she won't
0: Romelda Aiken. Aiken <laughs> George.
1: Yeah, she won't quite reach that height. And the last one to keep an eye on this weekend is in that net points realm, and we're going back to Helen Housby. Mm -hmm. She needs 120 net points on the weekend to equal Gretel Puerta's record for net points in that goal attack position from a season. Oh, right. Total uh, for
0: the year.
1: Yes, total for the year. I think uh despite her streak i think she she may keep that 100 plus streak but i'm not quite sure she can crack 120 against the thunderbirds this week
0: i don't know how often we see a goal attack get to 120 Oh, I like all yeah. of these. I like all of yes. these. I Look, I know, I think I've probably said this before and maybe not followed through, but I will share all of these on Twitter, all of these individual predictions so that people can keep an eye on them as they go and then send Aaron memes on Twitter as he's you know correct I or might, not correct. I might even tweet him. Out, <laughs> I'll we've, we've definitely got them. Well, I mean, yes. if nothing else, you get a gold star for comprehensive in that your that final home and away shot in the dark, Aaron. Uh, I've got my work cut out for me tracking all of those ones. Well, that's a wrap for our latest episode. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram where our handle is always real V feel and send us your Fox answers the fans questions using the hashtag real V feel. This podcast isn't possible without all in one property, which offers a suite of property services under one roof. Covering conveyancing, finance, insurance and property law, All In One Property streamlines the process, helping buyers access all the services they need in one place. Visit allinoneprop.com to find out more.